It is a wonderful irony that here on Reformation Sunday we are preaching from the book of James. For this was the one letter that Luther, who was one of the leading lights of that great movement, 500 years ago in 17 and two years, will celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Luther was not completely impressed, as he should have been, with the authenticity and the divine inspiration of the entirety of the book of James. But of course, we've come to see, as we've studied James, that James and Paul are not at each other's throats and not are opposed to one another. More about that next week when we come to that famous saying where James will say, faith without works is dead. And this is one thing that has got to be impressed upon the minds of Christians. And that is, we are saved by faith alone. We are saved by faith alone. No merit, no works, no desert, no effort on our part can be added to the efficacy, the saving work of Christ by which we are saved completely, entirely, and eternally. Faith alone. But the faith that saves, saving faith, is not alone. It is accompanied by, followed by, buttressed by, proven by, justified by works. And those works are the keeping of the commandments of God. Jesus did not bring a new set of stone tablets with him in his ministry. Instead, he took the stone tablets of Moses and on the mount, in his sermon on the mount, he gave them incredible and significant, deeper, wider, and more profound interpretation so that his disciples, so that we may have a transcript of the mind of God that we may be informed of what God wants us to know and what God wants us to do. And as we saw last week, we are implored by James, who, by the way, in this passage and in, in other parts of the book of James, is remarkably rabbinic, where he's a rabbi, and he teaches like a rabbi. It's interesting that James, as far as we know, was not a rabbi in the Jewish traditional sense. He was neither one of the apostles of Jesus that followed Jesus around every day. As we know the biography of James, he was the brother of our Lord, but he didn't come to faith, real faith, until later in the ministry of Jesus, probably even after the resurrection of Christ. But he had in him the, the style, the gravitas, the warp and the woof of the rabbi. And the rabbi would take the Holy Scriptures in all of its detail and seek to understand it and seek to set it forth. And that's what you see in James that's so helpful is he gives us perspectives on the royal law. That is the law of God. The royal law is the law of the king. Nobody spoke more of the kingdom of God than Jesus Christ because he himself is the king and the kingdom is embodied in the king. So what the king wants, what the king desires, the way the king wants things to move, the edicts and the mandates, the commandments of the king are the things we are to listen to 
and to obey. And that's what the law of God is. It's a royal law. It's the king's law. It's the king's word. So that to disobey a law here and a commandment there and to sin one place or another is not just merely to violate one little portion of that law, but it is a personal affront to the king. To disobey a commandment is not merely to fail to live up to a standard. It is certainly that. It is not merely to fall short of the glory of God. It is that. It is not merely to miss the mark. It is that. It is not only to step out of bounds. But it is that. But it is a personal affront, an act of sincere and soulful rebellion against the king himself. Oh, it gets very, very personal. To disregard the royal law, the law of the king, is to say in your heart that you are a rebel, that you are not under allegiance to the king, that you are not obedient and servile to the king. And that's what James wants us to really understand, is that even though grace is abundant and free, it is free to us. Salvation is costly. It required the death of the Son of God. It is of infinite cost. It is free to us. We receive it by grace, without merit, without desert, without works. But grace is not cheap. The provision of salvation in Christ that's given to us sinners cost an infinite amount. A price dearly paid on the cross when Christ died. And James wants to make sure we understand the terms, the stipulation, the nature of our salvation. Now in this particular passage, he deals with two things with respect to the law of God. And I struggled a little bit like, well, should, with time, should I mention one and sort of spend some time on it or should I mention the other or can I do both or whatever? And I decided to do both. So I'm going to bite off a big amount here and we're going to chew on it just for a minute then we're going to move on. He's two things. In that first paragraph, he's talking about judgment. Uh, the better word is show partiality. It should be discrimination. It is to take discernment and to discriminate, to detect a difference and treat differently. To detect a difference and to treat differently. And he gives an interesting little, little scenario that is just as, as, as stark and as plain and as undisputed as it can be. In your assembly, it's literally the word synagogue, in your synagogue, in your church assembly, in comes two people. And of course, they have to be shown where to sit, so the speculation is that they're probably newcomers or visitors coming in to visit in the assembly. Now, there's a, 
a minority opinion among the scholars that this is talking about in coming in for judgment, not just a general worship service and a meeting of the church, but it is one of those meetings of the church in which there were many when they, in effect, conducted a court and they discerned. And uh, very likely the background is, is that, but more than likely it's just one of the assemblies and in comes two men. One has on a very fine, expensive ring, which has a lot of significance in the ancient world. Rings were insignia of particular status and wealth and, and nobility and all the rest. And then he also has on very fine clothes. And you say to that person, your ushers, this is a sermon to ushers, is what it is. <laughs> this, this applies to ushers. The ushers of the church are the ones who, 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 who array the people across the congregation Say to this man, you come sit in this very fine place. Sit comfortably up here in this choice seat. Because he looks good. It's kind of like when you get your car parked, you know, they put all the Bentleys and the Rolls and all that right out in front of the restaurant. They put our Hondas and, you know, three blocks down. But we're going to recognize this person in a special way. But you say to another person who comes in shabbily dressed, obviously poor, and the language here, some have suggested, looks almost like a homeless person. And you say to that person, will you stand back over here? Or better still, you just sit down and squat here at the feet. Well, see, that's stark, that's obvious. It is overwhelmingly obvious that we're making a distinction. We're showing partiality. We are discerning. And this is the very essence of a miscarriage of justice according to the Old Testament law. What law? Well, you know I'm going to find one, and I have. It's in Leviticus chapter 19. Listen to this. This is, most scholars think this is probably the, the background to James's exhortation. He's a rabbi. <clears throat> He's teaching the Old Testament law. And his text here is Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15 and following. This is the commandment that uh, is given. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your neighbor in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take up vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see that commandment, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, this, this spells that out. And he uses the instances of making discernment and discrimination against. It's interesting, he said, you shall not be partial to the poor. That's interesting. In other words, it, it swings both ways. And he talks about having reason, reasoning frankly. In other words, what we're called upon to do in relation to our neighbor, if we want to keep the law of God, here's one of those principles of how to keep, the commandments are given, but then there has to be some kind of some kind of vehicle, some kind of conduit that moves us in the direction of obedience. And James has pulled out of the Old Testament law one of those, and that is one of the ways that you keep the royal law of God, that you love your neighbor as yourself, is you watch how you 
view him, how you look at him, how you assess him, how you discriminate and evaluate him. Is it superficial? Is it on the outward appearances that is on the inner man? And his admonition is that there be fairness, that there be equality, that there be frankness. And ultimately, there be love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at, look at the, the, the prohibitions. No slander. That's speech. And James has a speech code. We've seen a couple of things already about being uh, slow to speak. But here he sets forth what we need to know in order to love our neighbor. The way we look at him, the way we judge him will lead to the way we treat him. It all starts with this, with this inner uh, understanding of what the Lord wants. And that's exactly the way he, he spells it out. He says, there is evil in our hearts. There is evil intent. In other words, our love of our neighbor, our view of our neighbor, our judgment toward our neighbor, the way we treat our neighbor, starts with our own attitude about our neighbor. So our treatment arises sinful if it comes from a sinful heart. Oh, um, James has got it down. <laughs> he knows that the only way we can keep the law of God is to have a new heart. The prophets had said the Lord would take away the stony heart. He would give us a heart of flesh. And He would cause us to walk in His statutes. In other words, there's an enabling, there's an ability, there's a capacity that is granted to us by the new heart that we have been given. In chapter 1, he spoke about how we have been made alive, that we have been born again by the Spirit of God. So this is what he's doing. He's moving us in the direction of where we need to be. And he has a word or two to say about the rich, and he said it doesn't even make sense on the surface because the rich people are the ones who oppress you, drag you into court, and look down upon you, blaspheme the very calling that you have. And uh, here James is just pointing out what's probably the case in the early church, especially in that church. We know not long after, uh, or probably about the time this book was written, that the church in Jerusalem, that James was the bishop, uh, we were, they were extreme poverty and needed resources from the other churches, the churches of Thessalonica and, uh, and Philippi and Borea and other places. Remember the churches of Macedonia, St. Paul took up a collection and brought money to the church in Jerusalem about this same period of time. So this rich and poor was a very obvious issue within the church. Well, let me go to the next one. And this one is talking about the royal law. And it's real simple. It says you can't pick and choose the laws. As we spoke of earlier, if you break one law, you're guilty of offending the, in, in the whole. Paul says this in Romans 2, that to break one commandment is to break the whole law. The law stands together. The law is perfect. It's whole. It has its integrity. It is integrated and interrelated. So to 
violate one commandment, and the two he uses is the commandments of murder and adultery. He picks two good ones. If you don't do one, but you do the other, you've still broken the law, and you are classified as a law breaker. You see, the law of God, the perfect law of liberty, the, the commandments of God in the Scriptures, come to us mediated by Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a mediator of the covenant. It was Moses. And all Moses could do was to give the law and slap on the penalty if you didn't keep it. That was the extent of his mediation. That's all he could do. He couldn't make you keep the commandment. He could only punish if you didn't. So in comes the stonings and the banishments and all the things that are stipulated in the law. But the royal law of liberty, it's the same law, but now it is mediated through a superior mediator. The book of Hebrews spells all this out in detail. The mediator of the new covenant, the mediator of the law now, is Christ. And Christ comes mediating the law, and here's the first thing He says to us in His mediation, I have kept the law perfectly on your behalf. That's pretty good news. And He says not only that, that penalty that applies to you because you are a breaker of the law, I have paid that penalty. I took that penalty in my own person and bore it to the cross and there hung and died bearing the wrath of God, drinking the cup of wrath for you. It's the same law, but boy, is the mediation changed. Has the terms changed? It's no longer a law of death of condemnation, of accusation. But it is a law of grace and filled now with mercy. And that's what James says. He can't help it. He says mercy triumphs over judgment. When you get right down to it, the law with all of its judgment, its stipulations, its penalties, its prohibitions, the blessings and the curses and all have been taken care of by a new mediator. The mediator is Christ. And ultimately when you look at it, what comes to us? Not the judgment of the law. We're no longer under the curse of the law, which was death. We're now under the blessings of the law that flow to us from the person of Jesus Christ. What's the final? What, what's the bottom line? Mercy! triumphs over justice. Justice is there. Justice is fulfilled. Justice is met. Justice is satisfied. But mercy has triumphed over judgment. Oh, that's gospel. 